Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Influencer Podcast. Really excited to have the incredible Michael Hyatt on the podcast today to talk about his new book, The Vision Driven Leader, and really what it means to be a leader and how to cultivate and clarify and market and sell your vision. Now, this book is jam-packed with so many tools, and we talk about a lot of them. Now, a few of my favorites that I want to make sure to highlight is that first, you get a free copy of the Vision Driven Leader audiobook that's read by Mike, and you also get a free ebook of his latest book, Free to Focus, when you purchase this book. When you buy Vision Driven Leader from your favorite retailer, you get over $600 in bonuses, including something that he calls the Vision Sharing Guide, which we actually talk about on the podcast today. It's actually a $147 course on how to get your team or even you on board with the vision that you are creating. So if you're worried that your community or that your team or the people that you're trying to service won't quite understand what you're trying to build and won't quite get excited about the vision, then this course is really going to help you. So what is awesome about all of these bonuses is that just by listening today, if you purchase the book, you get all of this good stuff. Now, all you have to do is go to the visiondrivenleader.com slash influencer, put your receipt in there, you gain access to all of this good stuff, and you are not going to want to miss it. Now, as I was mentioning earlier, this episode really dives into the differences between being what Mike calls a leader and a manager. He also talks about the five steps to succeed in developing and delivering a vision script. And he actually kind of helps you define that for yourself. He dives into the vision script tool that again, you can get by going to visiondrivenleader.com slash influencer, along with the other $600 worth of free bonuses. He walks us through a really cool process of how to really create a compelling vision. And he gives us four characteristics of what your vision should include, which is team, product, sales and marketing, and impact. And he kind of goes through the four of those on the call today and shares with us why they're important, what they are, how to cultivate it. I really loved this conversation because it was enlightening to me with a lot that he was saying about, you know, speaking in a different way, really listening to your market, how influence really is about selling your vision. And we talk about how to cultivate that and the lessons that he's took from his journey of really stepping into leadership and becoming the leader that he is. This is a great conversation for anyone who feels a little kind of murky with their sense of direction. Uh, If you're having trouble finding clarity, if you're having trouble with your audience connecting to what it is that you're trying to create, you will love this episode. Now, as you all know, we are in a very unique and temporary point in our lives in this country and around the world. Our lives and our businesses have been shifted by this global situation that we are in with COVID-19. Businesses and organizations are really feeling the effects and the outcome of what this is really bringing to to the front of everything. And there's one leader's voice that I really appreciate in times like this, and it is Michael. He really knows how to navigate crises and chaoses in situations like this. He did it 
back in 2008. And it actually made him an even bigger leader from that. One thing that he teaches is that having a clear vision for your organization is more important now than ever. And in this new book, he shows leaders exactly how to create a compelling vision to grow their organization, especially in times just like the one that we are in. So this book is so timely for today. And Michael truly is one of the best leaders to speak on this topic. So I'm so excited that you get to hear his wisdom now. Welcome to the Influencer Podcast. I'm your host, Julie Solomon, a marketing strategist, brand building expert, speaker, and New York Times bestselling publicist. This is where I take you behind the scenes with today's top influencers, industry insiders, and entrepreneurs as they share step-by-step strategies to help you turn your online dreams into a purposeful and profitable business. Hello, Michael Hyatt. It's so good to have you with us today. Thank you, Julie. Good to see you and good to be on. Good to, good to have you here. You have been, you've been one of those that have been on my list for quite some time to get on here and to talk about what it means to be a leader, what it means to be of service, what it means to be an entrepreneur and to innovate and to constantly grow and, and, and pivot and evolve. And it's so timely, since those are kind of the topics that I've wanted to talk to you about, that we get to talk about that today because so much of that is now found in your new book, The Vision Driven Leader, which comes out March 31st. And there is so much stuff that is incredible in this book. But what I love most about this book, and especially for our listeners, is that it's the type of uh, it's the type of book that has these topics that I think are really easy to consume and really easy to understand. And the way in which you write and talk about these themes that we're going to be talking about today, it's so easy to understand, thus should be really easy to take action on and to apply Good. their life and business. So I'm really excited for that. And I kind of just want to dive into this idea of, you know, your background. And and I remember when I was just a little publicist working in a little cubicle at this place called Thomas Nelson. And there was this (laughs) man named Michael Hyatt, who was the big boss at the time. But I was there right around the time that you were transitioning out and you were stepping into the the life and the business and and the, the role that you have today. But there was a lot Get leaning up to those moments throughout that that decade of probably 2000 to 2010, and I would love for you to share just a little bit of, of, of your background and how all of those components really led to the leader that you are mm. today. Yeah, sure. Well, I spent almost my entire career in the book publishing world. So fresh out of college, actually, when I was in college at Baylor University, I started working for a small publishing company uh, there in Waco, Texas, a company called Word Publishing, which was later acquired by Thomas Nelson. But um, I I was working through divisional management and in about 2004, I broke my ankle and I decided to try this new thing that was kind of all the rage at the time, which was blogging. Like I had written a couple books before that, but I thought I want to get back into writing. And by the way, publishing was moving in a digital direction. And I thought I kind of need to figure out this brave new world of uh, digital publishing so that I can lead the company. And then in 2005, I became the CEO of Thomas Nelson Publishers, which at the time was the seventh largest book publisher in the U.S. We were publicly traded on the New York Stock Exchange, and our lawyers came to me. It's kind of an interesting story, but the lawyers came to me, and they said, hey, you can't blog. And I said, what do you mean I can't blog? They said, well, you're the CEO of the company. 
and we're publicly traded. So if you inadvertently reveal something and somebody trades on that information, you know, that's like, that's like a, a felony. You know, that could be a huge thing. You could end up in an orange jumpsuit and put in jail. And I said, that didn't sound right. I said, first of all, the blog is public. So everybody has access to it. It's no different than me saying something in the newspaper or saying something publicly. If somebody trades on that information, you know, the, the, the laws basically protect me from saying something privately to somebody that they would trade on. So they were like, oh, yeah, I guess you're right. So it was like the last I heard from the lawyers. So <laughs> I, I blogged seriously from 2004 till 2011. And I was blogging on all kinds of stuff, you know, sort of the publishing world leadership as I was growing to understand it. And I was exercising it as the CEO of Thomas Nelson. And so by the, by 2011, when we sold the company to HarperCollins, I had about a hundred thousand unique page views a month. My mailing list, Julie, you'll laugh at this was only about 2,500 people, but somehow I thought, you know, I'm going to speak it right full time. And I think my platform is big enough, you know, to sustain me <laughs> and provide for me. Yeah. And yeah, it, it, Probably should have been a little bit bigger before I took that jump. At any rate, that's what I did. And it all worked out. But I feel like at the time, I mean, 2011, you were such, and even before that, you were such on the forefront of this blogging world. We have so many bloggers that listen to this podcast. To have 100,000 page views in 2011 and 2,500 people on your newsletter, when that wasn't even the thing that you were mainly focusing on, is a, is a pretty remarkable feat and probably kind of, you know, allowed you to have that vision of, I think there may be something here. So what was that pivotal moment for you to say, I mean, you were at the top of your game. You had a job that so many people in the publishing industry would just, you know, kill over. And you were like, this is great. I've built this. It's awesome. Now I'm going to leave and pivot and go full-time on this blogging online entrepreneur thing and see what happens. Well, I think there was a couple things. It's a great question. First of all, I was really bored in my job. Mm. So I got into book publishing because I love words. I love working with authors. And I love being sort of a literary midwife to help authors give birth to their ideas. So that's, that's why I got into it. That's what I love doing. But the more I was successful, the more I got promoted till eventually I was doing mostly administration. And by the time I became the CEO of Thomas Nelson, it was mostly um, me working with the financial community, analysts on Wall Street, you know, investment bankers. Um, it was all financial, which I, I did pretty well. I learned that part of the business. I had no training in it, but I learned it. I could hold my own with it, but it just bored me. It's, it's something I call in my book, Free to Focus, the disinterest zone. Mm. It was not in my desire zone where I had passion and proficiency. And there was something about the creativity of blogging when I would just blog, like I, I would do it, you know, nights and weekends. And there was something about that that made me come alive. And because of the blog, I would get the occasional opportunity to speak. And initially, I hated speaking. It terrified me like it does most people. But over time, I got, I think, pretty good at it and really enjoyed it. So I said, you know what? It's now or never. You know, this, this sale to HarperCollins made it the perfect time. And so I stayed on with the company for another year as the chairman, but I really didn't have an operating role, which was perfect, which meant, you know, the shorthand for that was they continued to pay me a salary. So it gave me about a year to be able to try to really focus my attention on the blog and on speaking and, and writing before I would be totally on my own and had to generate all my own revenue. 
Mm. So many good things in here. You talked about you were bored. It wasn't what you were passionate about. You learned the other things that you needed to learn, right? Like you, you, you really stepped into that, but it wasn't where you knew that you were being called to serve. So you, you took this year, you had this salary. So you had a little bit of this, of this net, if you will, to kind of get your ducks in a row. How did you know the difference between, you know, this is something that I love to do and I'm passionate about it and it's a hobby to that difference of, I want to go all in on, on this and I want to create a business around this and really this community of, of service mm. and of leadership and, and really go all in. How, how did you know the difference between that? And how did you find the courage to listen to that difference and step into that? Well, this is a good question because a lot of people face this. First of all, I don't encourage people to just make the leap without already building a platform. So I had already been blogging by that time since 2004. So seven years I've been blogging. And and in essence, I was listening to the market, you know, because I had people that was back in the days when blog comments would run sometimes, you know, I'd I'd make a blog post and I'd get over a hundred comments. And so people were really affirming and really encouraging. And it was because of that, that I think I found the courage. And by the way, that doesn't mean I wasn't scared. I was still scared. You know, and I think there's a, there's a distinction. I learned this from Dan Sullivan. There's a distinction between confidence and courage. You know, they look the same from the outside, but inside they feel way different. So I was still terrified, you know, to make this leap. I thought, gosh, I'd already gone through a business failure, by the way, in a company that I'd run back in the 80s and it failed in 1992. So there was kind of this lingering doubt inside of my brain. You know, do I really know business well enough? I mean, sure, I could run a big company, but to start something from scratch, do I really have what it takes? So there was a lot of self-doubt. But I just thought, and and thankfully, I have a very supportive wife. You've met my wife, Gail. She was just saying, babe, I just think you got to go for it. You Mm -hmm. know, do it. If it doesn't work, you know, you can get another job. But I think you got to go for it. I think this is your passion. You're really good at it. The market's telling you something. So go for it. Mm, That's so good. And and I love that you you talked about, you know, listening to the market, having, having those years of experience that you were building up, and then having the courage to do it anyways, even though you were terrified. I love that. Yeah. And, and that, to me, that's a true testament of a leader, which I want to talk more about. Um, one of the biggest things that I noticed when I was going through the book of The Vision Driven Leader is that you talk about the difference between there being leaders in this world and then there being managers in this world. Yeah. So I would love for you to kind of tell us what, in your words, would be the major difference between those things. And then can leaders be managers and vice versa? And where do you start to see those lines kind of getting blurry? Do they need to be distinct? Can they be blurry? Um, what does that look like? Well, I, I definitely think they're, they're two different functions. Oftentimes, they reside in two different people. Like you have a CEO and a COO. So for example, in my company, Michael Hyde and Company, we've got about 40 full-time employees. I'm the CEO. My daughter, Megan, is our COO. She will become the CEO in about two years. We've already announced it. It's already happening. And she's got definitely what it takes, but she'll have to take on a little bit different role. So let me just kind of paint the picture of how they're different. So leaders create vision. Managers execute vision. Leaders inspire and motivate. Managers maintain and administer. Leaders take risks. Well, managers are really there to control risks. Leaders stay focused on the horizon while managers have their eye on short-term goals 
and objectives. But it's really this vision thing that I think more than anything else um, characterizes a true leader. If you're not willing to be visionary, if you're not willing to find the destination, find the future, and direct your team, or you're, you know, if you've got a, if you're a solopreneur and you've got a, you know, team of contractors, you still got to direct, you still got to paint the vision of where it is your organization's going. If you can't do that, I would say, I would argue that you're not a leader, you're merely a manager. And I don't want to denigrate or diminish that role because both are important, but they're distinct functions. And every organization needs that visionary leader. And that's why I wrote the book, because you're not taught this in business school. Most companies have no training program for this. Everybody's expected to be visionary, but nobody really knows how to do it. And leaders kind of shrink back from doing this and, and they deprive their companies and themselves of a critical element of success. In fact, I would argue the most critical element of success. Mm. Is there a time in someone's journey that they could be both? Definitely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like initially, before I was able to bring Megan into the role, I mean, I initially hired her as a copywriter and she's a phenomenal copywriter. And so she was just kind of doing some marketing stuff. She's like so intuitive and the best copywriter I know. And so then as we grew and as we expanded, you know, she, she took on more responsibility. But in the interim, I had to be the visionary, you know, the leader, mm -hmm. and I also had to be the manager. Mm -hmm. And again, both of those things are important. They both have to be covered. Mm. My friends, have you ever thought that you have done the hard part? You have started your business and you have taken that leap from belief into really stepping out and claiming a vision for yourself. But you know that if you want to make money doing what you love, you need other support. You need to grow. You need to scale. You need a marketing strategy. You need a lot of this stuff. Now, of course, I talk so much about these things, right? Like how to identify your target audience, where to find them, which marketing channels to focus on. So you're really making the most out of your budget. And of course, how to use things like data to set goals. But there's another great podcast that I love out there that also talks about this stuff. And it's called This is Small Business. This is Small Business, an original podcast from Amazon, answers so many of these kinds of questions. Whether you're dreaming of starting your business or you're looking to take a part-time side hustle full-time, or maybe you're a few years in and you're ready to scale. This is Small Business is going to give you the practical tips that you can start using today. And I know that if you love these topics on my podcast, you're going to love them on this one too. Make sure to follow This is Small Business on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so you don't miss these fantastic episodes. And a big thanks to This is Small Business Business for sponsoring the show. And you talk a lot. I want to kind of dive more into this vision because I hear from our listeners all of the time that, you know, they have these ideas, but they don't know which idea to kind of start diving into first, or they have this vision, but it feels all over the place, or they don't want to get it wrong. They don't want to make a mistake. They don't know how to niche down and what next step to take. So it keeps them kind of in this stuck zone, right? Right. So I would love for you to kind of share that, that journey of, of having the vision and then taking action on it. Are there steps? Are there tools? Are there things that we can look out for to just start moving forward to get us out of that stagnant zone? Definitely. I think probably what I should uh, do is define what a vision is. Mm -hmm. So in the book, I say vision is a clear, inspiring, practical, and attractive picture of your organization's future. Mm -hmm. So what do I mean by that? I mean, it's, it's an imagined future. Obviously, it hasn't been created yet. At first, it only exists in your mind. It's generally speaking, 
a vision of where you anticipate being three to five years out. Now, I have about 500 business owners that I coach on a regular basis through our Business Accelerator program. For 90% of them, we tell them that the three-year horizon is the right time frame. Beyond that, things get really fuzzy fast because of how fast technology in the world's changing. Less than that, and it's not going to be very strategic. But your vision has got to be superior to the present. It's got to motivate you. You got to be really excited about it, but it's going to guide your day-to-day decision-making, and it's going to be that which you rally your team around, okay? So anybody can do this, but here's not, Julie, and this is, this is key to understanding. I'm not talking about coming up with some short, brief, pithy, clever statement that you could slap on a coffee mug or wear on a T-shirt. Now, sometimes you can do that with a mission statement, and a mission statement is very different than a vision statement. But what I teach in the book and what I advocate with our clients is they develop something much fuller and frankly, something less daunting, which is a vision script. So this is going to be more like a three to five page document that it's going to contain um, kind of what you envision around four different categories, team, product, sales and marketing, and impact. So that's, I think, a little less scary than trying to come up with this, you know, really, really uh, clever thing that you can put on a coffee mug, that shut me down for years. Mm-hmm. I thought, I'm not that smart. I'm not that clever. I'm not that good a copywriter to come up with something that is going to really describe what it is that I'm trying to achieve. So again, anybody, any, anybody who has the will can develop a vision. And the book is really uh, designed to be almost paint by number to walk you through the process because I've deconstructed it. I've now had hundreds of companies go through the process and it works in almost any context. And so those are essentially the four characteristics That's that right. you you dive through, team, product, sales and marketing, and impact, and really diving into what each of those characteristics are and what they may look like. Now, are is that characteristic, is that vision, if you will, is it allowed to evolve, grow, and change as we evolve, grow, and change? Absolutely. Yeah, this is not set in concrete because here's, here's reality. You can only see what you can see from your vantage point right now, right? Right. So when I left Thomas Nelson to start Michael Hyde and Company, I thought there's two things I want to do. I want to speak and I want to write. But after I got into it about 12 months, so by the time I left Thomas Nelson, really, once I was no longer the chairman, now I'm out there without a net. I was speaking about 65 times a year, 65 to 70 times a year. And I said to myself, I hate this. I hate the travel. I hate, you know, all the preparation that has to go into giving a speech. And oftentimes I'd give that speech one time and everybody wanted a custom speech. And I mean, it was just, it was like killing me. What I could see when I started was that was going to be part of my future. What I saw when I got about 12 minutes in or 12 months into it was I didn't want that to be a part of my future, at least not to the extent and not in the way I was doing it. Now, the funny thing is, is now I've kind of looped back around. Now I'm speaking a lot, but I'm doing it in a completely different way. And we can talk about that later if you want. But so, uh, so yeah, as you move toward the vision, you gain additional clarity. And one of the things that you often discover is beyond that mountain peak that you can see right now is not only other mountain peaks, but entire ranges of mountains that you can't see from your current vantage point. So the vision shouldn't change much. In other words, it's going gonna, it's gonna to hold true until you begin to realize most of it. But it's something you're going to revisit on an annual basis 
and true up. And it's fine. It's wet cement. This, this is not like, you know, you go to the mountain like Moses and bring down the Ten Commandments, and for thousands of years, nobody's going to ever change it. No. A vision's got to be more flexible, more malleable than that. Yeah. Yeah. And thank you for um, sharing that, because I think a lot of times people need that permission to, yep. to, to be flexible and to have the wet concrete, so to speak. And I want to talk a little bit about what you describe as the vision-driven leader and the vision-deficient leader. And you have such a great quote that I want to share that's in the book. Um, you say that when you're clear on what you want, you avoid the pitfalls of vision-deficient leaders. You're better prepared for the future. You capitalize on key opportunities because you're better attuned to what will help you move forward. And simultaneously, you tend to filter out opportunities that will distract or derail you. And I think that is huge for so many of our listeners. So can you kind of go through that idea of what the difference between what a vision deficient leader is versus a vision driven leader? When you have a vision and when you have clarity about the destination where you're taking your enterprise, whether it's small or large, one of the things that that does is it prepares you for the future. So you're not reacting to stuff that happens in the marketplace, but you're actually creating the change. Um, Alan Kay, a computer scientist, famous for saying the best way to predict the future is to invent it. Mm-hmm. And when you've got a vision, you can begin to invent it and move toward it. So you can be prepared for the future. And I describe in the book the difference between Kodak and Apple. You know, believe it or not, Kodak invented the digital camera. You know, and, and they developed it like decades ago, but they could never get management to approve it because management couldn't envision a future without film. Mm. And as a result, Kodak went bust. It took Apple to really launch the vision for digital photography. Mm. You know, there were digital, a lot of digital cameras, but they put it in your pocket with your phone. And I don't know about you, Julie, but the number one thing that motivates me to upgrade my iPhone has nothing to do with making phone calls. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, I make I make very few phone calls, and that right. technology really hasn't improved, and it is what it is. Right. But uh, but it's the camera, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. You know, it's yep. all the features of the camera. So that's one way in which having a vision um, hurts you if you don't have it, and helps you if you do have it. Another thing which you mentioned is just missed opportunities. Yeah. You know, when you have a vision, it makes you alert sensitive, aware of the opportunities in the marketplace that are congruent with your vision and that you can fold into what you're trying to achieve in the world. Contrary to that, you miss a lot lot of opportunities if you don't have a vision. Again, you're very reactive. And and for a lot of people, as they begin to become successful, and this is kind of like another mark of a deficient, um, or somebody that doesn't have a vision, a vision deficient leader, is chasing too many opportunities. Mm. The more successful you become, the more opportunities come your way. And the problem is, is that those opportunities are actually distractions masquerading as opportunities, and they can absolutely be your undoing. So the reason my publishing company back in in the early 90s failed was not because we had a lack of opportunity. We had too many opportunities and no vision. There was no way to filter the opportunities. So we were doing everything that came to us. You know, we were doing adult trade books. That's what we started with. But we started doing gift books. We started doing children's books. We did books for teenagers. We even did a massive Bible project. And it was all of that that scattered our attention and our focus and our resources and inevitably uh, led to our failure. So the vision can act as a filter Mm. to filter out distractions, to enable you to see opportunities, 
and to move forward. And then just, I think another thing about a vision, and I, I go into six of these in the book, but just another one that I think is worth noting is it's easy without vision to quit too soon mm. because business is hard, right? Yeah, it and, is. And you, know, you think, well, I started it. It's awesome. Well, just wait. You know, as you begin to scale and you begin to add people, as you begin to take advantage of other opportunities, you're going to get to the place where you encounter what Don Miller calls the messy middle. You know, that's that point at where you've got too much invested to quit, but you're not sure you have the resources to finish. And so you, you get stuck or you want to quit. And I tell this great story of a company called SwiftKey in the book. And there was like these three entrepreneurs that started this company and they, they wanted to, to develop a new software keyboard for mobile devices that basically incorporated artificial intelligence. And so we know it today. I don't know if you ever used SwiftKey. I was a early user, but it allows you to type by swiping. Yeah. And so the new Apple iOS actually has this uh, built into it now. So right. the Apple has its own version of it. But SwiftKey was really innovative. They ended up selling their company to Microsoft about five years after they started for $200 million. But one of the partners dropped out after two months because he said, this is harder than I anticipated. It's more work than I anticipated. And he sold his stock to his partners for the equivalent of what you could buy a bicycle for, oh, like gosh. a thousand bucks. Ugh. He said it was the worst mistake of his life. Yeah, I would say so. He just didn't have the vision. Yeah. And, and that's, that's what it cost him. Without vision, the people perish. Without vision, you're going to give up on your dream. And I want, this is so good. And there, there was something else with the vision that really caught my eye. And it was, it was about the assumption that other people see your vision the way that you do or have, have clarity right. in your vision the way that you do. And I, I want to share this other quote because I was just like, oh my gosh, this is like a, a mic drop moment. This is so good. Because um, I, I feel like with our community, especially they'll say, you know, I've created this thing. It's great, but it's not connecting. People aren't buying. They don't understand it. They're confused. No one cares. No one's interested. Um, so you say in the book, don't make the mistake of thinking your vision is obvious to the rest of the team or your community just because you've shared it. I've learned the hard way that the direction and the needed steps may be clear to you, but that doesn't mean those around you will see things exactly as you do. A clear vision is not only concrete, it's explicit. An implicit vision won't work well, if at all. If you or your team is unclear about the destination, you're going to wonder. Yes. Uh, I feel like that's so good because I feel like that so many of those listening are going to be like, that's me. I'm in this state of wonder and I don't know how to get out of it because it makes sense to me, yeah. but I can't make it make sense to other people. Right. And that's because uh, they probably haven't bothered to write it down. Your vision's got to be concrete and it has to be explicit. And the reason for that, Julie, is nobody can read your mind. You know, not your spouse, not your best friend, not your employees, not your contractors, not your customers. Nobody can read your mind. It's got to be concrete and explicit. There's something extremely powerful about writing a vision script, getting on paper, committing your thoughts to paper. Why? Because thoughts disentangle themselves, passing over the lips and through pencil tips. Somebody else said that. It's a brilliant quote, and it's absolutely true. There's something about the writing process that forces clarity. Even if you're not a writer, just doing a brain dump 
and getting it on paper, even as a series of bullets. And I go through this like a recipe in the book and guide you through it with prompting questions. So you don't have to stare at a blank computer screen. I'm going to take you exactly through the process in the book, The Vision Driven Leader. So once it's concrete, once you've uh, got it expressed on paper, now you have to make it explicit by sharing it. But this is not a one and done thing. You know, you don't stand up at, a, uh, at an all-hands meeting and have all your employees present, maybe some of your contractors, and say, okay, guys, I want to share with you the vision. And by the way, at Michael Hyden Company, we do this every year. I share the vision. I read it dramatically out loud with enthusiasm because I'm motivated by it. Right. So I, I share it with the team. But Andy Stanley says that vision leaks. And it does. You know, like everybody's jazzed up. We just had our all-employee meeting in January. People were fired up when I went through the vision. I took about an hour to go through it and explain it. I had somebody that was new in customer service that came up to me with tears in her eyes. This woman had never spoken to me a day since she started at the company. We didn't have that much opportunity to run into each other. But with tears in her eyes, she said, I cannot tell you how motivated I am. Suddenly, I see how what I'm doing fits with the larger story. That was exactly what I was after. But here's the problem. Vision leaks. You know, 30 days after that you know, meeting, maybe a week after that meeting, people are in the midst of the daily battle. You know, they're struggling, working through, you know, customer complaints, all the challenges of running a business, all that stuff. And so it's the job of leaders to constantly be reconnecting them to their vision, to say, your work matters. I see you. I appreciate you. Your work matters. Here's how it fits into the bigger picture. So we not only um, go through the vision on an annual basis, but because it's broken into those four parts that I, I mentioned earlier, team, product, marketing, impact, then once a quarter, somebody from our team, not me, somebody from our team reads through that part, portion of the vision statement or vision uh, script, again, with enthusiasm, and we just get refocused on it. And then we're constantly, every time we've got an opportunity that comes up, every time we think there might be a distraction, but we're not sure, we go back to the vision. We evaluate everything against the vision because for us, that's the ultimate filter. Mm. That makes sense? It does. And I think that it probably allows for managers to step into that role with more confidence and more efficiency and more clarity yes. and allows them to be better managers at what they're doing and well, really seeing that vision through. Here's why. And, that, and, and it's very astute to notice that. The reason why is because when you have a clear, compelling vision statement of a bigger, better future that everybody's familiar with, they can suddenly begin to evaluate their actions against that. You don't have to micromanage them. You do have to micromanage when people aren't clear on the vision. You see it, but you haven't expressed it. You're not explicit. So you kind of have to, to manage them and take things you know, under control. When everybody's clear on the vision, people figure out how to get there. When they're clear on the destination, people can figure out how to get there. Like one of the things that we do every year as a family is we go down to the panhandle of Florida and, you know, go down to the, the Destin area and do a vacation. Now our family's grown so much because I have five grown daughters. I have nine grandchildren. There's multiple cars. Here's what I don't do. I don't say, okay, guys, I have mapped out the route. I, I can't tell you, where, tell you where we're going. I can't tell you where we're going, but I, I've, I've got this detailed map in my head and we're just going to check in with each other, maybe every 10 miles. And I'm going to tell you whether you're on track or not, but I'm going to plot the route as we go. No, here's what we do. We articulate the vision. Okay, we're going to Rosemary Beach. We've rented three houses. You guys figure out how to get there. When you're going to arrive, that's on you. Right, see you there. See you there. 
I love that. And that allows people to be accountable and responsible yes. for their own vision and, and, and for managing that vision, which I think Absolutely. is super important. Um, I want to talk about sales for a minute because it's one thing to have a vision. It's quite another to properly market it and sell it, which obviously is one of the four characteristics that you talked about. You talk a lot about selling and selling vision in the book. Why, why do you feel that is so important to really own that, to have the confidence in that? And who does the vision necessarily need to be sold to? Yeah, well, it absolutely has to be sold because when something doesn't exist, it only exists in somebody's mind or on paper, right? You know, you're talking about the whole realm of possibility, what could happen, but it doesn't yet exist. You're basically trying to sell people on the future. So when I was at Thomas Nelson as a publisher, I was trying to sell authors on a vision of publishing with us. You know, I don't care what it is you're trying to sell. You're trying to get people to believe that by getting associated with you, that's going to improve their future state. There's going to be a better future for them that's waiting if they just buy your product, subscribe to your service, get involved with you at some level. There's a bigger, better future for them if they do that. So you've got to sell the vision. First of all, inside an organization, if you're listening to this and you're mid-level manager or you report to somebody, or even if you're a CEO with a board of directors or investors, you got to sell the vision. You got to get it out of your head. You got to recreate or reassemble that vision in their minds. So that's why uh, it's so critical to write it down. That's called alignment. We want to create alignment with the people above us so that as we begin to take action, nobody's surprised by the results we're getting. Everybody's clear on the destination. We may have to change the routes, like the example I used from Rosemary Beach. I call that strategy. Strategy is how we're going to achieve the vision. But the vision, we've got to have agreement on the vision, where it is that we're going. The strategy may change. The vision's going to remain relatively constant. Mm -hmm. So it's not just up that we have to sell, but we also have to sell across and down. So we have to convince our colleagues, maybe vendors, maybe our customers, but we also have to sell the vision downstream so that everybody is working together. Vision requires alignment. But alignment, first and foremost, requires the vision. Once you have vision, you can create alignment. Once you have alignment, then you can execute. People that pursue execution without alignment and vision end up very busy, very overwhelmed. You know, they're doing lots of stuff, but because they're not all rowing in the same direction, that's alignment. And because they have, they're not clear on the destination, they end up tackling a lot of stuff that doesn't matter because not all tasks are created equal. And almost every entrepreneur, every solopreneur that I meet is overwhelmed. In fact, the mission of our company is to help overwhelmed high achievers find the focus they need to win at work and succeed at life. That is short, succinct, and I can state it, a mission, not a vision. That's a mission. But we try to help those overwhelmed high achievers because there are literally millions of them. And the reason they're overwhelmed and the, the bad thing is they're high achievers. So they got to be busy. They got to be working all the time. Right. But that's why they're working 70 to eight hours a week. That doesn't happen when you have a vision. Our coaching clients, just to give you an example of how this works out, our typical business coaching client, and, and we've got 500 of them now, in their first 12 months in our program, they will grow their revenues by 62%. So that's awesome, right? Yeah, it's amazing. But there's a, but there's a lot of entrepreneurs that don't want to grow because they think, I'm already working. Constant. I can't work anymore. How can I scale? 
Our average coaching client shaves 11 hours off their work week because it's 11 hours of fake work, busy work that doesn't contribute to the vision. So last year, even for myself, my business grew over 60% last year and I took 162 days off. That was every weekend, 11 weeks of vacation. I didn't honestly, don't tell anybody this, but I didn't work that hard. But what I did work on counted. It was high leverage. It moved the needle and it grew my business. And that's that's really the value of having a clear vision. Yeah. And I, I love that you were talking about the busy work and, you know, just the, the, the fake work, just all of that stuff that kind of keeps us distracted. What do you think is the benefit? Because you talk about resistance in the book. And to me, like that's a resistance point, right? If you're just staying, right. busy, then you can kind of resist really stepping in, really owning, really taking it to that next level. What have you noticed is the payoff or the benefit for someone to keep that lie and keep that limiting belief of like, well, I'm already doing so much and I'm so busy and I'm working hard and I'm all of this stuff, but it's actually not getting them to where they want to go. Well, the vision will for sure provide focus so that you've got a narrower range of things that you're pursuing and feeling like you have to do. You are going to still hit the resistance. I don't care even if you, you have a vision. It's almost like a vision attracts the resistance. Stephen Pressfield has written brilliantly about this book or in his book, uh, The War of Art, where he talks about the resistance. It's almost like from the moment you come up with a vision, once you commit it to paper, you've got a three to five page document that now uh, articulates the vision in those four categories. All of a sudden, the resistance shows up. No good, no important thing is unopposed. And so how do you get through that resistance when you want to quit when things aren't working out like you hoped, I mean, all of us have been involved in launch product launches that didn't work, marketing things that, you know, didn't work, whatever it is. But how do you get through that? That's where the vision provides the motivation, because as long as your eye is fixed on the prize, you can get through that messy middle. I've run several half marathons, and there's nothing like starting a half marathon with 30, 35,000 uh, of your peers at the starting gate. You know, it's euphoric. You know, you're getting all that dopamine and all those other good hormones and you're just elated. And you think to yourself, honestly, I could run, I could run for a hundred miles. I mean, you feel like Superman, Superwoman. But then you get to about, you know, mile 11 and you think to yourself, I want to quit. What was I thinking? This is like the stupidest thing I've ever done. I can't believe I got myself in this situation. But then if you remember the vision, Remember what it's going to be like to finish, or one of the hacks I've used when I'm doing that is run for a charity or somebody else so that it's not yeah. just me, but that I've got something, you know, invested somewhere else. And I think, okay, now I'm running to support that school. So I absolutely have to finish. And then all of a sudden you have a, a reinvigoration of your, your motivation and you're able to finish. And then it's awesome at the finish line too. It's just in the middle that it's so tough. But if you don't have that vision of finishing, you probably won't. Mm, I love that. Um, what's the lesson that took you the longest to learn as a leader? <laughs> oh, man. I feel like on, on some things, I'm a really slow learner. Uh, like one of the things, and this, is, this is not related to the vision, but um, I, I constantly underestimate how much work is involved in doing various things. Uh, and so um, I, I think this is almost. I think it's almost built into the way things are. And I'm not even sure it's a bad thing, 
But like, for example, you get married and you think, what could go wrong? I mean, we're in love. This is going to be awesome. And as it turns out, it's a lot of work. Or when you have kids, you think, this can't be that hard. You, know, you, you see all your friends struggling with this and, and you're an expert right up until the point you have a kid. And then it's just like, I don't know Jack. And I'm not sure how to get through this. Same thing with work. Same thing with launching a new product. Same thing with, with growing your business. You know, it seems at the front end like it's going to be easy. And I'm just like notorious, and I'm probably not alone in this, but I'm notorious for underestimating how much time and expense is going to be involved. You know, it's almost always worth it. But, uh, but yeah, that's a lesson I've had a hard time learning. Mm, that's good. Um, something that was coming up to me when you were talking about selling the vision was that idea of influence. How does influence yes. play in to vision? into sharing your vision and selling your vision and, and making it greater than yourself. Well, I know you're all about influence. So, you know, you're the expert in that, but here's how I look at it. Influence is one of the major characteristics of being a leader. You've got to be influential. Here's what that really means. It comes from the same root word for influenza. Right. So to be influential means that you're contagious. And For you to be contagious, you first of all have to contract the disease. You know, you're not going to be contagious or influential unless you're carrying the thing that you're going to transmit to other people. And I see a lot of people trying to sell a vision that haven't bought it themselves. The most important person to sell in the world is yourself. Mm. If you can't sell yourself, you don't have a chance of selling it to anybody else. But once you've caught the bug, now you're in a position to infect others. And, you know, this, I, I love this whole metaphor you know, of transmitting a disease. But in this case, it's a good disease, right? So you're going to transmit something to somebody else that, that is going to get them to, to replicate in their body, in their mind, in their world, the very thing that, that you've caught. So you got to be contagious. So that's, you know, you got to be excited. You got to be enthused. You got to be uh, clear. Clarity creates influence. When you're clear, people are desperate for clarity today. And when you as a leader, can articulate the problem that they're facing in a way that they can't even quite articulate for themselves, then they think you've been reading their mail. You know, that gives you access to them and influence over them in a way that's profound. So, you know, again, I think it comes right back to the vision. Do I have a clear, clear and compelling vision of the future? Maybe it's just the future of this product. Maybe this is the future of this service I'm trying to sell, but do I have a a clear and compelling vision that I can state in a way that motivates other people to act? If you've got that, you've got a vision that's working. If you don't, buy my book. I love that. And with that said, you do have the vision scripture tool that you've developed and where people can kind of dive into this. So where can they find that online? And of course, get a copy of the book. Yeah, so we've got a bunch of bonuses, about $600 worth of bonuses if you buy the book uh, right now. These won't go on forever, but right now you can buy it from wherever you want, Amazon, barnesandnoble.com, your local bookseller, whatever. Take your receipt and go to, the, to, to visiondrivenleader.com slash influence, influencer, sorry, slash influencer. And that's a custom page that we've developed just for your uh, audience, Julie. So you're going to get not only, you've already bought the book, you're going to get the electronic version of the book, which you can read on Kindle or whatever your favorite device is. You're going to get the audio book, 
And you're going to get what you mentioned, the vision scripter tool and a few other goodies in there uh, besides about $600 worth of stuff. The vision scripter tool. I love this tool. So this is a tool that my team created that's online that will help you to write your vision. It'll lead you through a series of prompts and it will help you create the first draft of your vision script. Now that first draft is always the most difficult because you got to pull it out of your head. You got to get it onto paper. And from that point forward, it's just editing. But getting that first draft is tough. That's why we developed that tool so that nobody has an excuse. You can't say to me or to you, you know, vision is just not my thing. Or I'm not that visionary. Look, this is not about charisma. It's not about having a special gene or a special ability, mystical ability that nobody else has. Any leader can do this. All you got to do is be willing to put put in the work. And I've tried to make it as easy as possible with that tool. Ah, thank you. And guys, I know that you love a freebie. I know that you love bonuses. I know that you love a downloadable. So go get the book, take the receipt, go over to visiondrivenleader.com slash influencer, get those $600 plus of bonuses, including this vision scripter tool, which I can't wait to download and go through it myself. Cause I think that we always awesome. need to go through this, no matter where we are in our business or you know, what journey that we're on. It's always good to go back to these incredible foundations. And um, Michael has done just such an incredible job of, of laying that out for us today. So thank you again so much for being here. I know that our audience is going to love this. Make sure guys, as always, to go to Instagram, tag me and Michael in your Instagram stories, share that screenshot on your Instagram. Let us know what you loved most about this episode so we can see that and then share those on our stories as well. I appreciate it, Michael. And I know that this is going to help so many of our listeners. So thank you so much for being here. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. All right. That is it for today. Now, as you know, some of our best conversations actually happen after the show. So I want you to find me on Instagram, head on over to our Facebook group at the Influencer Podcast, and let me know your thoughts about today's show. All right. I will see you again, same time, same place next week.